Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have attorney Greg Glazer. He's a health freedom lawyer in California. He's the lead counsel for what's called the Control Group, which is a pilot survey of unvaccinated Americans that have filed federal litigation to support the right to remain unvaccinated. Uh, he's also general counsel for Physicians for Informed Consent, which is a nonprofit opposed to vaccine mandates. So we're going to talk today about uh, the dynamics of uh, forced vaccines. So Greg, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad there's uh, you know attorneys out there like you. I, I can't imagine the amount of heat that uh, you know you may be getting for your position. But um, tell me a little bit first about your background, and then um, how did the uh, this vaccine issue land in your lap, or has it been something you've been working on for years for other vaccines? Yes, I've been working on this for over a decade. And my focus has been the numbers, meaning that I am primarily interested in the science of vaccination and the actual numerical risk of vaccination. So this led me to work with a group that performed a study comparing vaccinated to unvaccinated. And we surveyed 1,482 unvaccinated Americans which is a very large number because it gave us above 99% confidence in our results. And what we found is that unvaccinated Americans are the healthiest people of all. We found that, for example, the chronic illness rate in completely unvaccinated Americans is only 2.25%, meaning that imagine you have 100 people on your street, on your block, Richard, and of those 100 people, only two of them would have a chronic illness. And that chronic illness is likely to be something small, like asthma, something very easily manageable, maybe allergies. But now go one street over, Richard, where there are 100 people on the street who are vaccinated. On that street, approximately 
60 of the people on that street have a chronic illness. And 10 of them have five chronic illnesses, meaning that they're dying. This is like autoimmune diseases, cancer, diabetes, things like that. So we were, we were shocked by these results because they show that there are two different worlds. There's a world for the vaccinated who have all these chronic illnesses. And then there's a world for the unvaccinated who it's like they took a time machine back to the 1950s when people were healthy. It is remarkable. But when you say vaccinated versus unvaccinated, what's the average age of the people that you looked at in the study? And, uh, you know, the reason I ask is that I'm in my mid 40s. And when I was young, from what I understand, there was maybe five to eight suggested vaccines by CDC. And now there's like 72. So yeah. are you able to tease out age and health? We did. And, and again, my focus is always going to be the numbers. So I'll tell you the exact number that we're talking about. So when, in, uh, in 1983, for example, there were 22 vaccines recommended or 22 doses recommended by the CDC. But in the year 2020, it's 77. So it's more than doubled. It's about tripled. Actually, it's more than tripled. So the so what we have is an absolutely ballooning vaccine CDC vaccine schedule for children, and a lot of that growth from went from approximately thirty five vaccines to sixty two vaccines took place in the time period around two thousand four. There was a huge growth. So what we did, what our math team did, is we looked at the increase in chronic illness and the increase in the vaccine schedule, and we applied the Pearson correlation coefficient to see how close they match. Richard, the answer was 0.99 on the Pearson correlation coefficient, which you probably know is a very high correlation. It's just a very, I mean, it's, it's a very nice way to say they're correlated, but anyone with a brain recognizes this is causation. You know, it's like, it's like when your doorbell rings, sure, it could have been a bird that hit it or something, but probably it's somebody at the door, you know, <laughs> it's the person that caused it. So it's, so using that scale, the Pearson correlation coefficient, we proved that vaccines are causing chronic illnesses across the country. So why, I don't know, why have vaccines become so political? Why are they forced on people? Why are the vaccine companies uh, indemnified from any risk? I mean, what, it's such a strange world of it. Why are people so vehemently foaming at the mouth and crazy about vaccines that if people don't have them, everyone's going to die? What, where did all this come from, you believe? The first thing to know is that the vaccine industry is a billion dollar, really realistically a trillion dollar industry. And just like any massive industry, whether we're talking about the oil industry or some other industry, it has its vested interests. It will go to great lengths to sell its product. And so, and it has its scandals, you know, every large industry does. And so that's the reason why vaccines are pushed so heavily. They're these just massive cash cows for the healthcare industry. And so the healthcare industry and also the government institutions that oversee it, they have no interest in studying the unvaccinated for the reason that if they did, they would tell you what I'm telling you today because we counted the numbers. And I'm not the only one who's counted the numbers. In 2020, there were two other studies published that came to the same conclusion that my group did. And they used independent methods. So we had three groups all using independent methods and everyone came to the same conclusion. That's called science. And so now that we've counted the numbers, we know. So to answer your question, why is this happening? What is the ballooning rate all about? Where are we going from here? The answer is that this industry, the vaccine industry is just hopelessly corrupt. 
they can't help themselves. Just like the oil industry, they're not going to stop pushing oil. You know, the oil industry is not going to be starting to move towards some other solution. They're, they, they are all in. And so it's going to take the people waking up. It's going to take good science, people recognizing what the numbers are. So as you may know, America has a counting problem. We have issues with counting elections. We have issues with counting vaccine injuries and risk. And so it's time to get real. You know, it's time for people to start just counting the numbers and looking at the health of the tr- of the completely unvaccinated. And I can tell you what the exact problem is in the vaccine industry. It's that when they approve all these vaccines, they do so using comparisons of vaccinated people to partially vaccinated people. Meaning they'll look at some they'll look at a group of people that have received 65 vaccines and then they'll compare that group to a group that has received 64 vaccines. And amazingly, Richard, they will call the group that received 64 vaccines unvaccinated, which is, of course, an utter, it's an abuse of the English language. And so what they do is they find that both groups have an equal number of injuries and chronic illnesses. And then they say, oh, well, if both groups have an equal number of injuries, then that means that the vaccine must be safe, which is terrible science. Anyone who's thinking would do something different. Any thinking person would compare a completely unvaccinated group, someone who's never received the the product in question, to the vaccinated group, the people who have received the product in question. And when that's done, which we did, you find this stark difference. You find that the vaccinated Americans have, a, in some cases, a 40 times greater risk. Not, not 40%, 40 times. That's 4,000%. That means that vaccination is the worst healthcare decision that a person can make in their life. It is the number one medical intervention in someone's life that utterly destroys their health. Imagine, for example, Richard, that you're walking into the doctor's office and you're bringing your son, your your young son. I don't know if you have a son, but uh, the point here is uh, in this hypothetical is that you're, you're bringing your son into this doctor's office. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. And let's say the doctor actually told you the truth. What he would say is, look, I can inject your son with all these vaccines and he will have a lifetime chronic illness. There's a there's about a 70% chance that he's going to have a lifetime chronic illness. We don't know what it's going to be. Could be diabetes, cancer, ADHD, could be uh, a, a other forms of neurodevelopmental disorders like epilepsy. Really, we're just rolling the, we're just rolling the rolling the wheel to see what it is. 70% chance. Or you could walk out of this office right now with no vaccines and there is a 98% chance your child will be perfectly healthy for life. Which one would you do? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. It's, it's incredibly obvious. And, and the reason it's obvious is because science, 
science instructs us to do true placebo, to do true control groups, genuine control groups. There's simply no substitute for genuine control groups. It is the Achilles heel of the pharmaceutical industry. It's the reason that they won't study it. They go so far out of their way to ignore control groups that they say, um, Richard, this might shock you. Pharm the pharmaceutical companies say it's unethical to study the unvaccinated. They say, if you see somebody yes, yes. unvaccinated, you just inject them right away. Don't ask them any questions. They just need to be protected immediately from infectious diseases, which is, of course, a joke. They're, it's it's transparent what they're really yeah, doing. Even if they're like 80 years old, they've done just fine until now. Yeah. Exactly. It's, so, th so that's the line that pharmaceutical companies push. They, they, uh, they're hiding behind their own ethics standards, which are completely unethical because the pharmaceutical yeah. companies are harming the majority of the population. Well, I, have, I have another question about this, this data. Um, at what point with the given number of vaccinations or type of vaccinations, does the health seem to fall off a cliff? Like have you, have you or anyone looked at data of people that had zero vaccinations versus let's say just, you know, five to 10 or the 22 that you mentioned, not the 60 or 77. Yes. Like, at, at what point is, does it really get worse? Yeah, you can, all of that is in our court. So what we do is if you ever want to see people's health only received some vaccinations, like 10 vaccines, what you have to do is you have to go back in time. You have to go back in time to when the CDC schedule only had a handful of vaccines. And you can look at the chronic illness rates at that time. So, for example, if you go back to 1997, the number of people who had uh, or the percentage of all deaths in the United States in 1997 that were heart disease was about 30%. Cancer was about 25%. Um, you have diabetes was only about 3%, whereas today diabetes is at 10%. So you can see this increase over time as the vaccinations increase, so too does the disease. Actually, diabetes is a perfect example that I'll take because I, you know, again, I always want to give you numbers. I don't just want to talk in a vacuum. So with diabetes, if we go back to 1994, there's a 4% rate of diabetes in America. But then if you go fast forward to 2018, the diabetes rate is 10%. Okay. Now in the, now when we track that against vaccinations, what we find is that the number of vaccine doses that was recommended by the CDC was 30. So you had 30 vaccine doses in 1994. But then when you get to 2018, the number is approximately 75. So we have a, a more than doubling of the vaccine doses and a more than doubling of diabetes rates. So what you do is you do a Pearson correlation coefficient where you compare the increased risk of diabetes to the increase in the vaccine schedule. So it's just, it's like a slope comparison. You're comparing the increased rate in both of these things. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And what we found when we ran that calculation is a 0.98 match. That's on a scale of zero to one, 0.98, which again, that's like your doorbell ringing. Yeah, somebody's at the door diabetes are caused by vaccines. And so, so that's just our raw national data. That's just like the government's, basically the government's own admission right there. And, and that doesn't even include our survey. And then when we did, then when we look at our survey data, it matches exactly. So we asked individuals to give us their, their medical diagnoses, which include, you know, the question of diabetes. What we found is that we surveyed 1,000 482 
Americans, which is a very large number. And would you like to guess how much diabetes we found? Uh, what, what percentages? What we found is 0% diabetes in the unvaccinated. 1,482 Americans. What about um, average, uh, average weight or BMI? I'm just curious about, you know, there's a lot that, this sounds like there's a ton of data that can be pulled out of the study and you know, hopefully yeah. correlated. Like what yeah. else, you know, again, wait, what did you see? Right. See, that's, that's what the CDC would do. What they try to do is they look at other factors like diet, exercise, but no study has ever found a, a tenfold difference in diabetes between similarly situated people based on diet. So for example, you can't switch from the, you know, the Atkins diet to the Whole30 diet and expect to find a a 1000% difference in, in health outcome. And, but the CDC would like us to think that they, they want us to think, well, maybe it's the diet or maybe it's your race or maybe it's your gender or something that causes diabetes. It's not, it's the vaccines. Vaccines are immune mediated. So yes, your rate, your risk like of diabetes if, if you look can at the increase. average weight. Has anyone looked at like the average weight or BMI uh, between the two groups? Right. Yes. That's very well studied by like the diabetes association and they really try to emphasize that you can decrease your risk of diabetes a little bit if you improve your diet and exercise. And so that's true, but we're only talking about percentage points. We're only talking about some percentage points, whereas the the greatest factor for diabetes is whether you are vaccinated and diet and exercise are not even close. So that's shocking, uh, except for the fact that we know that diabetes is an immune mediated condition. And that's what vaccines are designed to do. They're designed to alter the immune system. And so the way that we find the, this causation, again, we always have to come back to it, is you have to look at a pure control group. And what the pharmaceutical industry does is they will try to, first, they will never use a pure control group. And secondly, whenever they get data on this, they will always stratify out. So they say, oh, well, well let's, let's put everyone who's male into one category. Let's put everyone who's black into another category. Everyone who has a, uh, you know, a, a, BM, a, uh, a weight over 160 in another category. And so by stratifying out, they make the results meaningless. So which, which can be done, that, that's the MO of the pharmaceutical industry. A much better approach is to start from the beginning, to start from the foundation and do a pilot survey, do a, do a initial look, say, all right, let's, let's look at this hypothetically and say, if we were to isolate one factor, what would that factor be? And so, so we look at vaccination. Okay. Let's just look at vaccination and see what's the difference between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And again, we find 10% of all Americans have diabetes. And, and whereas 0% in our survey had diabetes. So the, the likelihood that this result could be by mere chance is one in 64 with 68 zeros after it, meaning you're more likely to be hit by lightning twice on the way to winning the lottery. In other words, vaccines cause diabetes. Now, the only question is how much diabetes. And I think what your question is, is, well, what do these unvaccinated people look like? The answer is they look like us. They live among us. They go to uh, the sub same supermarkets. They go to Target. They are subject yeah. to the same Wi-Fi. They eat the same I'm food. Sure they, yeah, I'm sure they look yeah. the same and they have the same diets. But what I wanted to know is, has anyone calculated the average weight difference or the average BMI difference in vaccinated versus unvaccinated group? I'm just curious to see if there's a uh, 
not only does the diabetes affect your saying, but is there a tremendous weight effect? Yeah, the answer is that you can also look to um, obesity and find that the unvaccinated are exponentially less likely to suffer from obesity as well. So whereas the American population in general has a relatively high obesity rate. But to your question specifically is of has there ever been a study comparing vaccinated individuals to completely unvaccinated individuals that calculates everybody's BMI? The answer is no. Yeah, you know why? Because um, again, I tell you, I'm in my mid-40s. I remember the movie The Goonies from the 80s. And, you know, even now, if you look back in old movies, like no one was overweight. And I remember, you know, being in high school and all that. And, you know, there was a few token people that were heavy. Now it's everywhere. Everyone seems to be heavy, kids too, and all that. So I just wondered, you know, how much of a signal is coming from vaccines in terms of weight? I'm just yeah. curious. That's why I asked. Sure. And the and I gave diabetes as one example, but of course we have other examples that match the exact same phenomenon. So for example, heart disease. We found zero heart disease in our control group. We found only less than 1% digestive disorders compared to 18% in the vaccinated. So again, we're talking about approximately 80 times difference, not 80%, 80 times. It's like, uh, you know, could you imagine flipping a coin that many times? It would be like flipping a coin. Imagine you had to flip a coin a hundred times in a row and every single time it comes up heads. It's impossible. Yeah. And so, and so, well, so that's, so that's the initial starting point, which is why we, we recognize that it's not the the Wi-Fi in your house. It's not the necessarily the diet in your house because no dietary study has ever found an 80 times difference. You might find a like a 20% difference. How could this, yeah. um, so, so this appears to be long-term effects, you know, either certain vaccines or the combination of them all. Has, has anyone been able to delve into data and look and see if there's specific vaccines that seem to be far worse for people than others? Or is it just confounded by the fact that they seem to be approved in clumps? Yes. Yeah. The, the whole vaccine schedule has never been studied. The FDA does short-term trials on individual vaccines, but the individual vaccines all have common ingredients such as aluminum and formaldehyde and obviously the different antigens. So the answer to your question is no. And also that it's a fruitless exploration to try to figure out whether the it's the hep B vaccine that's causing this or whether it's the polio vaccine that's causing it, because again, they have common ingredients. So that's actually what pharma wants to do. Pharma wants to try to isolate individual vaccines and compare the the effect of each one, which is their sort of their specialty, which is always how they come up with their conclusion. So the very reason why we're in the predicament today is because of the very thing you just said. It's that they always try to compare fully vaccinated to partially vaccinated. So, or in, in, in other words, they'll say, well, let's look at a group that received the, the MMR shot and compare them to those who got the hep B shot. They say, oh, look, they both have 10% diabetes. Problem solved. Vaccines don't cause diabetes. Yeah, no, I'm just, it, yeah. it, it worries me because unfortunately with the uh, the COVID vaccines, they appear to be so bad that unfortunately now we could make, I mean, if you had a group now that was not vaccinated at all versus people that got, uh, you know, whatever the standard was at the time versus now people that also had the COVID versus not, you know, the vaccine, unfortunately now it might be so bad, you would see a difference. Just that one yeah. vaccine uh, appears to be just, you know, unbelievably bad so far in looking at VAERS data. And that's been the issue is that all of these problems in America, these are vaccinated people problems. 
If you go amongst and live among the unvaccinated, they don't have these issues. You can't find a single case of a completely unvaccinated person who was hospitalized or died. That's because COVID is a vaccinated people problem. People who've already gotten the polio vaccine, they've already gotten the MMR vaccine. People who are damaged, damaged goods. That's that. That's what's going on in America. I mean, you you look across this land, you can't find healthy people. Everybody, you just ask them, you take a detailed personal history of them. Everybody who's vaccinated has issues. It's one thing after the next. But then you go over into the group of unvaccinated people. It is remarkable. These are the healthiest people on the planet. And it's exactly what the parents are reporting. The parents are reporting that they vaccinated their older child who has all sorts of issues. Again, same house, they eat the same diet. And yet their youngest child, they learned and chose not to vaccinate them at all. And they're perfectly healthy. Same Wi-Fi, same water, same food, same genetics, completely different outcomes. And it's always the same. It's always the older child who's vaccinated and the younger one unvaccinated i'm sure uh well i'm not sure but i wonder if the uh the unvaccinated people in your study you got to be very careful to protect their identity because i'm sure various agencies would love to get their hooks into them and you know yeah inject them that is correct the unvaccinated are being persecuted across this country which is the key point of our federal litigation we are requesting that the court issue a national informed consent exemption the acronym for that is nice we're trying to be nice We are requesting that the court protect all unvaccinated individuals so that we can do science. You know, you can't do a you can't do the scientific method unless you have a control group. And the government is hunting down the unvaccinated, especially with this COVID vaccination. They're just making it so hard to live in America and be unvaccinated. So if we want to do science, if we want to be smart about this, we need to protect these people. And we can't be giving in to the pharmaceutical industry, which is this giant industry with trillion dollar ambitions. How has anyone been able to tell how long after, you know, someone stops for the most part getting vaccinated that these these problems occur, these chronic problems like diabetes and heart conditions and everything? Is there, you know, is there a time lapse of years or decades? Yeah. People? Does that, anyone know? Uh, that's a great question. It's uh, the evidence is anecdotal on that point. But if I were to summarize the anecdotal evidence, it's about 10 years. You stop vaccinating, you improve your life and health and, you know, diet and exercise, just kind of get on track with a good program and you can heal your body. The problem is that these, these autoimmune conditions are these immune mediated conditions, including autoimmune conditions. They are systemic, meaning they, they, they train your body to react to the all forms of not just the antigen itself, but anything in the vaccine. The problem, Richard, is that vaccines work. They work, meaning that whatever they put in the vaccine, your body will react to. Your body learns to fight. So for example, when they put eggs in the vaccine, your body learns to fight eggs. And so, yeah, if you stop vaccinating, eventually your body can learn to eat eggs again, but not everybody. And, and, and especially so when you are constantly inundated with the thing in question. Uh, for example, they put aluminum in vaccines. Well, you can't go five years without ingesting aluminum. You ingest aluminum every day. You're probably ingesting it in this very second. And so, because it's in the air. And, and so you're constantly harming yourself. Your body is constantly fighting the aluminum. And so it's not like you get a reprieve, you know, like after 10 years, all of a sudden you're just healed. Because every day you're fighting. 
This brings us to uh, present day. These COVID vaccines. I was hoping that the the effects would just be acute for people, but it seems like at least with your data and other people's data that it's going to be a lot of long term effects. So what uh, what do you think is going to happen over the next six months versus two, three, four, five years? for people that have been vaccinated against COVID? Yeah, I think the COVID vaccinations are going to manifest with the abundance of spike proteins accumulating in the body that start attacking vital organs, uh, beginning with the spleen, the ovaries, where the spike proteins have already been proven to lodge. And so individuals who've been COVID vaccinated are going to uh, have their immune systems shutting down over time uh, with each successive coronavirus and other similar forms of viruses like rhinoviruses, the common cold. So over time, these individuals will accumulate these spike proteins that will damage their internal organs. And of course, this will all be blamed on variants rather than on the actual cause, which is vaccination. So people that are vaccinated, I mean, their bodies make spike proteins. I don't know for how long. I don't know what the curve looks like. Probably no one knows. But um, when they're confronted with either COVID or some other similar virus in the future, do you think there'll be enough residual mRNA or whatever you know vectors uh, for the body to then produce a whole bunch more spike proteins yet again in response and re-sicken the person? Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's how this works. That and one scientific point of evidence for that is look at someone who has natural immunity for SARS-CoV-1. So rewind the clock 18 years. Somebody gets SARS-CoV-1, well, they have natural immunity still for SARS-CoV-2. Isn't that interesting? Because they're related. And the same phenomenon applies to vaccination. If you have a, uh, anything that requires, or sorry, anything that triggers a, uh, an antibody response, a spike protein antibody response, will begin to trigger your immune system. And so that's things like variants, other viruses, just general exposures, and so, yeah, people are going to be accumulating these, these spike proteins and it will be harming them over time. I think one way to put it is that this COVID vaccination turned out to be a, a real world IQ test. What do you mean? I mean that the information was out there, you know, that this was an experimental gene therapy, that there were no other mRNA vaccines approved, no adenovirus vaccines approved for human use. And so this was a giant experiment. And so people took a risk. So it was pretty much an IQ test of, you know, are you smart enough to figure out that this is, that this is dangerous? And so yeah. as it turns out, IQ is something that involves recognizing patterns. And individuals who didn't understand the pattern here, the vaccination pattern, doesn't matter how smart they are, how many advanced degrees they are. If you can't see the pattern, you've got an issue. Well, I mean, I guess they may be forgiven. This data has never is just about never been able to surface unless you really look and with all the propaganda around it, you know, surrounding it. I mean, it's massive. So that's could, true, but it's know. the uh, that's true, but it's the exact same with an IQ test. Uh, if you take someone who's never done an IQ test before or never gone to school, you know, they haven't been able to observe these patterns, then they won't perform well on an IQ test. So. Yes, all forms of IQ tests require a little bit of prior research and understanding and knowledge. Well, when this interview is published, I mean, uh, I would think a large percentage of the listeners have gotten one or both doses. And, you know, in the future, you know, they're going to push boosters. What do those people do? Is there anything they can do? They are members of a giant scientific experiment. And so their health 
will depend on how reactive their body is. Will there be solutions provided by doctors to basically untrain the body to stop attacking itself or future forms of gene therapy to reverse the effects of this, uh, this RM- mRNA in their body? That is unknown. There is uh, currently, there's no detox protocol that has been proven to reverse the effects of the mRNA. And, but there are some promising leads, especially on certain points of, on certain ingredients in the vaccine. For example, there's been quite a big discussion about the graphene oxide. So the answer is that they will have to stay tuned, but um, they've basically already jumped. So they're already on a different terrain than the unvaccinated. So what's it been like for you um, legally in the court setting? Are you being just, you know, are groups like yours being just denied standing or, you know, like how hostile is the response? Are you getting any judges to listen? Like where are the various efforts to uh, to get vaccine exemptions or to, you know, to really make a sea change in this? Where are they going? What's happening? Yeah, it's courts are institutions, you know, they're and like any institution, they are uh, established. You know, they have the conventional thinking. Institutions tend to gravitate toward other institutions. So, for example, courts will gravitate toward the CDC and respect CDC and and vice versa. And so the answer is that when the information reaches the institutions, they're unlikely to change. But we know from, for example, the work of Thomas Kuhn on scientific paradigms that change doesn't come from within the institution. It comes from outside. So that would be individuals like myself. We have calculated the numbers, the information's out there. Eventually the truth will win because it's the truth cannot be suppressed. And so our question is really a matter of timing because we've already proven that vaccines are causing the epidemic of chronic illnesses. Again, the the rate of chronic illnesses is doubling about every 12 years. That means that we are on the last leg. We don't reverse this course. Our nation will end. It's math. When you say it'll end, you mean there'll just be such a uh, a massive swell of people that have conditions that it'll what crush the medical system or yeah, will be unable I mean, the, to work the, and say give- exactly. I mean, the, are already the number of people on unemployment and disability is massive. Many people are actually unemployable, and this these chronic illness rates are. Staggering that not just the mental issues, but things like heart disease, that's 48% in adults. As I told you, diabetes is 10%. This makes life really hard. People who have diabetes in digestive disorders makes things uncomfortable. Eczema is another thing, asthma, food allergies. But the really big ones are the developmental disabilities. And you got like 7% developmental disabilities in the population. Autism is another one that is growing so fast. And autism doesn't just affect the actual autistic child. It affects the whole family. And so what we're seeing is that the rising costs and the toll taken on Americans is so high that once you get to a certain point of disability, the society can't function anymore. It can't sustain an economy. And the rising costs of taking care of these individuals requires completely restructuring the economy, it becomes a disability economy. This is a, this is an attack. This is an attack on our nation by pharma. I don't know. Again, looking back at the, the disabilities that people have apparently from vaccines, um, is there a curve where it, the disability peaks? Or, you know, first occurs and is there a, you know, again, over time, does the disability go away or once you have it pretty much for life, you know, a lot of these disability, that's it, you have it. Hypothetically, it might do that, but we have not observed that in the national data. Uh, the national data produced by 
for example, the CDC, the U.S. Census, and, and so forth. All we see is just exponentially rising rates of illness. And there are all these foundations like the American Cancer Institute, and they just profit hand over fist with studying these things. And they'll study everything except vaccines. And then they never solve the problem and they just make tons of money every year. Uh, for example, cancer, 6% of adults have cancer and it's rising. Actually, and, I've heard that uh, in, during a lifetime, 50% of men and 33% of women in the U.S. will get some sort of some, some form of cancer, which is insane. Exactly. But you, you know how much cancer we found in our survey in unvaccinated adults? Zero. <laughs> it's, it's the same for children, zero cancer. And with children, it's not as statistically powerful because the cancer rate in children is only 0.35%. So you need a mass, a huge number of people. But in adults, we found it with strong confidence in our in our results. And, and it's obvious too, because when they manufacture vaccines, they harvest tumor cell. They harvest uh, cell lines from cancerous tumors and put them in the vaccines. So the government is literally injecting people with cancer. And then it's like garbage in, garbage out. You know, you put cancer in someone, what do you get out? Cancer. They're called immortal what? cell lines. It's quite a scam. Yeah, if, if, if these are so profitable and so protected, why wouldn't the vaccine companies at least try to make something good? It just seems like it seems like they're just making a witch's brew, throwing in, you know, eye of newt and all this other crap. And oh, look, it works great. You know, it's so funny. Um, I have some evidence in my case about witch's brew <laughs> because what happened was uh, the there was a major mainstream paper. I think it was the Guardian, but I'd have to look back. Had this vaccine scientist very conventional vaccine manufacturer. And he said that making a vaccine is like making a witcher's, witch's brew. And they actually published that in the mainstream news. And our group took a screenshot of it because we knew it was going to be taken off the internet immediately. And sure enough, within no, uh, maybe three, four hours, it was scrubbed from the internet. But we got a screenshot of it and introduced yeah. that evidence in federal court. Well, I think one thing to realize, I don't know how you'd reconcile this, but you know, when you go to court, I mean, you're going to be in front of a judge that's probably been vaccinated more than not. Court personnel, I mean, everyone involved in, in a case, if it gets the jury trial, that'd be wonderful. But, you know, again, you're probably going to be in front of a judge that's been vaccinated. Do you, do you address that? Do you say anything to the judge? Like, judge, I'm not going to ask you, sir, about in privacy, but it's, it, it may be likely statistically that you have been through all the vaccinations. And, um, you know, I ask that you consider that in mind and, you know, hopefully it doesn't enter in as a bias or I don't know how you'd put it, but have yeah. you ever said such a thing? I have not, but I believe that it is implied when I talk about the rates of chronic illness in the adult population, especially heart disease, autoimmune disorders, cancer, you know, the judge is likely arthritis, judge is likely to have at least one of these conditions. And so I wouldn't specifically direct the judge to say, you know, tell us about your conditions or you probably have one, but I'm sure the judge can read between the lines. Yeah, it's a, it would be a very delicate thing, but I just wonder if there's a way to convey it without being overt that, um, you know, please don't let this color your perception or, you know, I don't want you to think like we're looking down on you because of this or any, you know, like I just wonder um, how that could be conveyed. And I think it may be important somehow to convey it somehow because Otherwise, you know, like the a given judge is essentially saying, well, I've, I've in their mind, you know, I've been vaccinated and, you know, this threatens my choices by by you exposing this. So uh, it just may make it even harder to get anything through because of that. Yes. Well, judges pride themselves on not being biased. 
You know, they pride themselves on their objectivity, not taking their own personal experiences into account, although that does sometimes come up in court. And so lawyers are supposed to write to the judges from that perspective, that the judge is neutral and objective and just wants to do the right thing. So we hope to reach judges who know how to find patterns and pass this IQ test. What's the life like of you know, these unvaccinated people, do they have to, I mean, are they not able to participate in certain things in society, even up until now? Are they, yeah. do they have to be very careful not to tell anyone about what's going on with them? Like what, you know, in interviews with them, I don't know if they've been done, but what have their lives been like besides thankfully happy, um, healthy? Yeah. Well, life is getting increasingly difficult under COVID, but it depends on what state they live in. In 45 states, the unvaccinated do very well, meaning that they can still go to school. It's not like there's vaccine mandates for work. There are uh, exemptions, you know, religious exemptions. Even in the military, you can get a religious exemption. And so it's been it's been manageable. But increasingly, especially over the last five years, we've seen these mandates in liberal states. It's always the liberal states. So like California, New York, Oregon, we're seeing these that the legislators, the, the Democrats are removing exemptions. So the Democrats are saying we don't like religion. Uh, the Democrats are saying you don't have personal beliefs. Everyone needs to get vaccinated. So it's really the Democrats who are pushing this agenda. And the the conservatives are the ones who are respecting the Constitution and protecting the unvaccinated. Probably you'd like a number. So what I can do is one example would be in California. So in California, there was a rule, a, uh, a law passed called SB 277. And under SB277, the legislature removed all exemptions for unvaccinated people. So that you couldn't exercise your religion, you couldn't exercise personal beliefs. And the vote was exactly down party lines. 92% of all Democrats voted to push vaccines. And 86% of all Republicans voted to respect the Constitution. And so that same pattern we've observed in every single state across the board. So the number one factor for whether you're forcefully vaccinated in America is whether you live in a Democrat or Republican state. What the people that come to you individually that have uh, been forced to have it and then it's after or, you know, someone in their family has died. But do you take yeah. those cases or other attorneys in cases? Sure. Yeah. Well, I've worked with a lot of families on vaccine exemptions, and that includes working with doctors who will screen individuals for vaccine risk and identify common conditions that make an individual more susceptible to uh, vaccine injury, such as previous history of neurodevelopmental disorders and autoimmune diseases. So it is an emerging field. The CDC is very much opposed to the work that we do because the CDC is a one-size-fits-all organization. They want the same vaccine schedule for everyone. They want only their list of CDC contraindications. It's a very rigged system, and which is, of course, is expected. The CDC is a vaccine patent holder. The CDC purchases vaccines from pharma. The CDC gets their funding from pharma, largely through the CDC foundation. So it's essentially a struggle uh, right now. It's like a, uh, a, a war between the forces for health and the forces for sickness. The forces for health are the unvaccinated, people who are awake to the benefits of, of a healthy lifestyle. And the forces for sickness is 
the medical industry, actually, which is obviously ironic that the healthcare industry would be the number one promoter of illness. But that's what the data shows that, for example, uh, even the government admits that the third leading cause of death in the United States is medical malpractice, medical error. And that's a conservative estimate that it's only the third because once you factor in, yeah, medical error, the third leading cause of death, that's uh, Hopkins Medicine even recognizes that. So we've had, we have a serious problem with the medical industry. It is not a, it's yeah, just inherently flawed. How big of a threat do you see the, um, you know, the COVID vaccines and these mandates being? I mean, do you think this is, this is the big one? Yeah. Have, yeah. Uh, just this is the big problems. one. The interesting thing is that it's both, it's the big one in both directions. You know, it's the extinction level event for so many people. And yet it's the awakening event for so many more. So in the same sense that these COVID vaccinations are intensely and inherently dangerous and will strike down and just really cull the American population, even though that is correct, it will also awaken the intellect and pattern observation of so many more Americans so that people can finally start passing the IQ test. It's time, time to observe the pattern. One other thing I want to ask you, I know we're running out of time, uh, fertility rates. If you look at the unvaccinated, you know, if the study's been around long enough and they've had children, is there a difference in the number of children or the number of miscarriages or the number of fertility issues between the two groups? Yes, I have that evidence anecdotally, but I don't have the numbers on it. And as you know, my focus is the numbers. So I don't want to go too deep on something unless I can tell you the calculation. But I can tell you anecdotally that we have no issues with unvaccinated individuals going to fertility clinics. The unvaccinated don't need uh, in vitro fertilization, IVF. Again, these are vaccinated people problems. And so so anecdotally, you know, the, the evidence is there, which means it's something that we need to do further studies on. But in order to further study it, we have to have an unvaccinated control group. And because that's what the scientific method requires. I mean, do you, do you see that there will be um, fertility issues with, um, you know, the current COVID vaccines? I do. The evidence shows that the spike proteins lodge in the ovaries and of females. And obviously the testicles are the uh, uh, made of the same stuff. They're, they're like the ovaries for the male, the, the, the t- testicles are. And so, yes, we completely expect that the spike proteins are going to be damaging the ovaries where they lodge. And also, I don't know if you know this, Richard, but spike proteins are also a natural phenomenon in the body. And they are necessary to the formation of human placenta. And so an abundance of spike proteins lodging in the reproductive organs will harm the growth of human placenta which is why already some initial evidence is showing a, a spike in miscarriages of vaccinated, uh, of COVID vaccinated women. So it's, uh, some have estimated as high as 0.8, 80% of pregnant women are experiencing miscarriages following. 80%? 80%. But that, that's, oh. that's initial evidence. That is not verified evidence. And so... It's, but this is the example. So, so then this is how science works. You know, you find some initial findings and then if it's enough to say, okay, this is something we need to look at deeper. Then what you do is you do a control group study to find what is the actual number. But clearly we already know, even Pfizer admitted it in their documents that these spike proteins lodge in the ovaries. There's only one place where they lodge more and that's the spleen. So clearly there, they are, the spike proteins are attacking the reproductive organs. 
So it shouldn't be a surprise that COVID vaccinated women are having higher numbers of miscarriages and not just higher numbers, but like, what is that number? <laughs> That's what we need a control group study to show because the initial evidence shows it's about 80%. All right. So last, last question or two, what do people do that are listening that haven't yet, you know, gotten the COVID vaccines or they've gotten one out of the two? What can they do? Maybe if they don't want to, yeah. you know, they don't want to get it. They don't want their children to get it. They don't want, you know, people they know to get it. What, what recourse do they have? Without providing sure. legal advice, you know, as best as you can answer. Yeah, this is this is your IQ test. So when you take an IQ test, you generally turn off everything else, right? You know, you're not also answering the phone. You're not doing other things. So this is the, this is the time to focus. You know, so structure your life so that you can pass this test. That might mean finding another job. That might mean taking a sabbatical year from school or choosing a new school. For a lot of people, it's homeschooling, and so. Yeah, there's times in life where one has to change their behavior to accommodate what is happening in society. One of the most obvious examples was Jews right before uh, World War II. You know, they couldn't pretend that there wasn't a major cataclysm going on in the country. They were being hunted down. It's the same thing here. You know, so passing the IQ test. So a Jew who passed the IQ test right before World War II they realized they needed to do something about their behavior. They needed to change something. You know, try to interact with Nazis as little possible, approaching zero. That's right. Well, Greg, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Thank you so much for asking. We have a website which contains all of our scientific evidence, all of our court documents. Uh, we provide regular updates. And that website is informedconsentdefense.com. Org. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Greg, thank you for coming. And uh, even though it was a uh, one of the most scariest podcasts I've ever done, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.